And so I think you'll enjoy this. Doesn't matter if you do it. It'll be good for you. Genesis 19. So again, what are we going to do? We're going to go through. We're going to see the outline. And we're going to see the Old Testament shadow of what God's going to do in the New Testament. So it, it, wait until we get to the application. But uh, for, for this first part, we're just going to see how God told them to build the tabernacle. So um, the golden calf happens. What chapter is that, Ben? 32? Okay. So just, we're going to go up to 32. Because after 32... Uh, and 33, then it's a repeat. And here's what I would like to point out. God tells them in chapters 19 up through chapter 31 how to do this. They build the golden calf. God says, look, you built the golden calf. I'll go ahead and give you that land I told you about, but I don't want to live there. I'm not going with you. But then Moses intercedes, God agrees to go with him, and then they build the tabernacle. And what's real important is in this first part, as you read through it, you've been reading it, it says, build it according to the, the, uh, the plans that I gave you. Well, then after the golden calf, then you get the story of them building the tabernacle and they build it exactly like God tells them. It's so repetitive. You wonder, why did he go through it? He could have just said, and then they built the tabernacle according to the plans that he gave them. But he says in the first section, 19 through 31, build an ark like this. And then when you get over to the part after 33, it says, and they built an ark like this according to the plans they were given. Every single thing that they build, they're told to build. They kind of rebel. Well, they do rebel. They want something different. And then they get it clear. And then they build exactly like God wants them to build. I think that's important. I think a lot of people come out into the wilderness. They're ready to be a Christian. They have in their mind who think they think God should be. It's not exactly what they thought it was going to be. And either they repent or they turn back to Egypt. But repentance is, oh, I'm going to quit trying to build my life and my house like I think you should do it, God. And I'm going to go back to the plan that you gave me and I'm going to read it and I'm going to do it exactly like you said. I think that's the big story here. I think that's why they repeat it, you know. Take the garbage out. Nah, I don't want to. Take the garbage out like this. I don't want to. Well, you've got your choice. If you want to live in this house, you will take your garbage out like this, or you can sleep outside tonight. And Johnny took the garbage out just like this. That's sort of the way the, the thing is laid out. So let's go ahead and let's look and see what goes on. Uh, chapter 19, I've got verse 5 here to read. Um, now therefore you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me, remember Peter, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Listen, walk with me and you will become a nation. By implication, a nation that represents me because you walk like I do. And so then he goes and he gives them the social law. How should you act? The most important thing to me is that, first of all, you love me. Have no other God before me. Don't make any graven images. Don't take my name in vain. And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then I want you to love each other. I want you to honor your mother and father. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Uh, don't covet. Uh, 
Which one did I leave out? Oh, yeah, don't lie. Um, and then he, he expounds on that and brings it right down to not only do you not steal, but if you accidentally destroy property of other people, this is the extension of don't steal. You have to restore it, and this is the way you have to restore it. And he goes on and on and on, explaining how his people should be. All right, does that make sense? Then um, he renews the covenant. Well, in verse uh, chapter 23, 20, that's where he says, this is all about, you can write that down, 2320. It switches from giving the law. He says, and don't forget, I am going to give you a land. 2320, I will give you a land. And he renews the covenant and tells them what it's all about. And then he says, here's how you build my house. So I'm going to get a little help from everybody. Um, first of all, in chapter 25, verse 10, he says... I want you to build an ark. Okay? Can I get a volunteer? Can I get a vo- one volunteer? Come on up here, Andrew. Whoops, you can't get in that way. You got to come around all the way over here. Right here, brother. (laughs) That's a sharp right turn. (laughs) And that's a shaky looking stair there, man. That thing moves. Huh? Right, right, right in this chair right here. <laughs> One more. You are now the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> yes, you're going to be there all night. <laughs> and so... God gives them exact dimensions of the Ark of the Covenant, and he tells them what's going to be in it. What's going to be inside the Ark of the Covenant? Three things, the law, the manna, and Aaron's rod that budded. Okay? So, the Word of God, the bread of God, and the priesthood of Christ abides right there. Okay? So then you keep going, and then it's uh, a table, oh, then a mercy seat. I, I need two volunteers. Ah, wait, 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 wait. I'm going to, Allison, can you volunteer? And uh, Matt Helman, can you volunteer? Okay, I want you all to go to stand on either side of Andrew, okay? About, about two feet away. Now turn toward Andrew and reach your hands out like this. <laughs> like this. No, you gotta do it like this, make them kind of look like wings. All right, you kinda got let their let your the tips almost touch. Uh, Allison, you get Allison, you get closer so it's centered. Okay, now kinda lift them up like this. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> so the mercy seat was in the shape of angels over the mercy seat, okay? And so it would be like the top with these two angels on the top on top of the Ark of the Covenant, okay? When we would get in trouble in grade school, our teacher would make us stick our hands out like that and just stand. You'd think, like, there's no problem with this. About 15 minutes later, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. So y- y'all can put them down for now, okay? But we'll put them back up in a minute, okay? So let's keep going. So you've got the mercy seat, um, and it's there in the mercy seat that God says, I'm going to meet with you. So it's the place of mercy 
that covers the ark where the law abides. Huh? First Corinthians chapter 10. You're beginning to get a picture of God. You meet with me in the mercy seat that covers the ark of the covenant. All right? Just uh, stick with me. All right, then the next thing that happens, um, chapter 23, at the beginning of chapter 23, uh, he describes a table of showbread. Okay, a table of showbread. So if I could have somebody uh, volunteer. I need a volunteer. Okay, can you come up? If you'll grab the communion plate. Okay, and stand right over here. Okay. Okay, so this would be a table that was set out, and they would put the showbread on it. Uh, wait, no, you need to stand up here. They, they would put showbread on it. There would be 12 loaves, so you kind of stand right here like this, facing this way. Okay, let's keep going. We're going to build the, we're going to get the pattern here. Uh, uh, then in 26, it explains how to build the tabernacle, okay? All right, the tabernacle would be this area right here. Because this church is laid out like the old, uh, the in the wilderness tabernacle, okay? And this would be the tabernacle, and there would be a curtain right there, okay? And there would be a curtain right here. That was your D harmonica, Bob. Uh, there's a curtain right here, and you can't see in there. There's no light back there except the presence of God which lights it. This has 31. In chapter 31, it has a lamp, which is a menorah or a candlestick that has several uh, different... Uh, ben, you got to be the candlestick. Does anybody have this chart in your Bible? And, and does it, no, here's a candlestick. Oh, he went to get the real menorah. Does, does anybody... Uh, somebody look... Uh, well, yeah, there it is. I was going to have you hold a candle that was lit, though. Okay. Anybody? Does anybody have this chart in the back of your Bible of, of how it's laid out? All right, I hate to do this, but I have to. We got to check to make sure that I got the showbread on the right side, correct side. Um, who does? Alexis? All right. Has it got it in there? I mean, your Bible's in your box. What are you doing? Get your Bible out. It, wait, hold that thing up. It's not unwrapped? Unwrap that thing. All right, if, if anybody gets it, okay, um, go ahead and look in chapter uh, 23, or 25, verse 23, and it'll tell you where the table is. The table is on the right, okay. Okay, all right, so we're looking east, this way is east. This way is west. Pardon me? I mean, if, yeah. if this is the tabernacle set up, I'm, I'm saying, I you know, okay, good. Just hold the bread. Uh, so this is east. This is west. Yeah, that's the way we face. That's east. You travel eastward? Okay. So that's east. If this, that would be east. You're a candlestick and you're showbread and you can't talk. Okay. Does it tell you which wall that you put the... the um, uh, 3710. Somebody read and see which wall it goes on. Uh, 
doesn't tell you, does it? Does it have it in the Bible there? Is it on the east? What side is it on? North, south, east, or west? The table. Okay. Where is the door facing? Where does the door face? Does it have north, south, and east on here? Oh, okay. Yeah, all right. Sorry. Okay. Okay, all right. Which, which way is that direction? Okay, so this is east. Thank you for the help from the pieces of furniture. That's east. That's west. And so uh, that would be north, and that would be south, okay? And they would always set it up this way. Um, so let's keep going. There's some other... And then it tells him to build the tabernacle, which is just this part, okay? And it's lit by this candlestick. And it tells you what kind of oil to put in this candlestick. It wasn't a wax candle. It was oil, and there's some significance to that. All right, so let's keep going. Um, going down to uh, verse 31 is the lamp. Then you get to chapter 26, builds the tabernacle. And then in 27, it goes all the way out to, um, let's see. Josh, would you stand up there? Right in the middle. Can you move over to the middle? Right here. It gives you a bronze altar, Okay. It, it gives him the dimensions for the bronze altar. Okay, let's keep going. And then in uh, 7, verse 7, it tells you uh, how to build the court. Okay, so what's the court? The court would be these walls that go all the way around. And let's say that wall would go on back and around behind this tabernacle, over, and then back up. It tells you to build a court, okay? And then, go on down to... Oh, then it goes into detail about the priesthood, okay? Stick with me. What have we got here? First, the ark, the word, the bread, and the rod. And then we have the mercy seat, where God will meet with you. And then we have a curtain that closes this off. And then we have showbread, 12 loaves, and then we have the menorah or the candlestick that lights this area. Then we build the tabernacle around it. Then we, can, we continue. We build the bronze uh, altar, which is where they sacrifice the animals, okay? And then you build the court... Then 28 and 29, it talks about priests. And then, in chapter 30, it tells you to build an altar of incense. Okay? So that would be a piece of furniture that would sit right here. We'll let that stand as the altar of incense. Okay? Um, I'm actually standing where that should be. I, I need somebody to be the altar of incense. We can't... I don't want to move the table. I need an altar. <laughs> Who smells good? Uh, would anybody like to volunteer to, to stand in as the altar of incense? Okay, Jonathan. Incense in the Bible always represents the praise and prayer of the saints. Okay, and then verse 17 of chapter 30, it tells them to build a bronze basin. A bronze basin. Uh, let's see. You want to be a bronze basin? And so you just stand right there, right in front of the candlesticks. So this would be a bronze basin. And so... <laughs> You know, what's very interesting, 
the bronze basin, when, uh, when they build the final bronze basin, uh, it was built out of the mirrors. They had brass mirrors. Uh, it wasn't at this time, but when they, when they built Solomon's temple, I believe, uh, all of the women who gathered uh, at the outer court, they all donated their mirrors so that you could build a, a basin. And this basin is where the priests would wash themselves before they would come into this, what's called the holy place. So there's, there's the basin. And uh, then uh, in chapter 31, God says, I am going to anoint some men to build my house. And then I'm going to ask everyone who wants to contribute to building my house to contribute what they would like to contribute. Okay? And this is when Moses goes down and the golden calf uh, has, been, has been built. Okay? So, just so you have it in your mind, this is a large, uh, uh, a very long court, and there's two pieces of furniture. When you would come in the east, the only entrance to the court, through the curtains, the first thing you would see would be this altar right here. The first thing you would see before you would come into this house of God is the place of sacrifice. Okay? And then the priest would come in. They would offer the sacrifice before they would come in to the holy place, which is... Now remember, there's a curtain here and a curtain here. Before they would come in they would go and they would wash themselves again. They would wash before they would come in. But after the sacrifice, they would come and they would wash themselves in the basin. Okay, And then they would come in and they would do the daily ministry. They would change the bread. They would take care of the uh, uh, oil. And there's particular ways that you prepare this oil and put it to keep the light burning. And then uh, they would keep the incense going up. And so this incense is the part that goes from here to there every day because the smell of the incense would move over into the Holy of Holies, which is this place over here. But in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, was Andrew, full of the Word, full of the life of God, under the priesthood of Christ, met in the mercy seat. Every time I say mercy seat, you got to do that. <laughs> And so these are two angels. Now, the Bible says that these things are written for our admonition, okay? So that we can understand what's going on. The first thing you see is sacrifice when you come to the house of God. The sacrifice of an animal, okay? The next thing, even before the priests come in to do this daily ministry, they would wash every time before they would come in and do the daily ministry. But once a year, the high priest would sacrifice a lamb on that altar out there. And he would take the blood, he would come through after his second washing, and he would go past the altar of incense. Once a year, that priest would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. So every year, the whole nation would come together. There would be an ongoing ministry. But every year, once a year, everyone would come together. Their mind would be set on God. They would recognize, we have not lived according to God's ways. And we remember when we built the golden calf, what he did. We remember that a lamb was slain and death passed over us and they understood clearly once a year, this is a terrible and an awesome day. Because only once a year, under fear of death, the priest would go in to a holy God who had told us how to live and we have not lived like he told us to live and we deserve death. But somehow, the sacrifice of this animal is going to roll our sin back and God will continue to walk with us based in His mercy that's responding to the blood of this lamb that was slain.
every year. Can you imagine? You know how we all get into Christmas in America? And it's like everything builds up to They would build up to this day when the priests would go in and would atone for their sin. It was an awesome thing, and they would all gather. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This was written for our admonition. This was written so we could learn who God is. So all this went on so God could reveal himself. So this house built this way explains God. And so keep that pattern in your mind. And we will try to refer back to it as we move on through the Old Testament now. Uh, the different the different pieces of furniture. What's Josh? What's that? Okay. What's right here? What's this? Which side is this? Which side is this? What's that? Uh, uh, a menorah lampstand. Okay. What's right here? Okay. What's inside? Ark of a Covenant, and what's on top of it? The mercy seat, okay? Uh, can you all be comf- kind of just make yourself comfortable? You can lean there. If, if you want to sit, you can sit there like a basin if you'd like, and you can lean. All right. Yeah, there's another chair if you'd like to sit down. But you okay? All right, yeah. Okay. All right. You can do whatever you want, Josh. You can stand there or you can sit. Okay. Okay. Uh, so that, that almost seems like Sunday school except for this. God was pretty specific. Build it this way. And Moses was pretty specific. They built it this way. And it represents some very significant, important things, okay? So once a year, the priest would enter in and they would offer up the sacrifice out here. He would bring the blood and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The mercy of God responded, the mercy seat of God responded to the blood because the blood signified justice. What did they deserve? Because they had not lived like God told them to live to represent him? Death. But somehow, God was able to see the death of their understanding of the death of this lamb to roll back the judgment, okay? Now, let's go over to Hebrews, and that's just one one, one aspect of the tabernacle, but I want to explain what he was trying to prepare us for. So go to Hebrews chapter 8. How many of you have ever built a little model of of the tabernacle? Some of you, yeah. I, I think we did one in, uh, in vacation Bible school one time. All right. So, Hebrews chapter 8. This is after Christ has already been sacrificed on the cross. It's probably 30 years later. There are a bunch of Hebrew people who were used to going once a year on the Day of Atonement and the priest representing them, and then they would go weekly and make sacrifices. Now, those sacrifices weren't brought into the Holy of Holies, but they would have sacrifices at the bronze altar. They were used to this, but now Christ has died for them. And so the the fullness, in Matthew 26, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. And it tells us in Matthew 26 that he was speaking of the temple of God. And so in the first part of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus becomes the high priest. Okay? Jesus becomes the high priest. And then it goes on and it begins to tell about the tabernacle that Jesus ministers in. All right, so let's do it. Chapter 8. Now the things which we have spoken this is the sum. We have a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. What it's saying is that ark right there represents what really exists in heaven. And Christ did not come into this place, but Christ went into heaven where the real ark 
where the real mercy seat exists. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. The true tabernacle is in heaven and God pitched it. But we know a lot about it by what he had us build here in the earth. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man, Jesus, has something to offer also. So if this was a picture for hundreds of years of what's really going on, and the priests would always go in and sacrifice lambs, now that Christ has become our high priest, what does he have to offer? If he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished by God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, he says that you make all things according to the pattern showed to thee on the mount. So when Moses was up on the mountain, God was giving him a pattern but that pattern was an earthly representative, a representation of what was really in heaven. So if you can understand the way this is laid out, you can understand a lot about the heavenly tabernacle. Verse 6, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises... For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Okay? And this is what the second covenant is going to do, all right? Stick with me, because this captures a lot of what we're going to talk about in the Old Testament. Do you see? Does everybody understand what's going on here? Is anybody confused? Raise your hand if you're confused, because you can lose it. A lot of people don't know how to read Hebrews and they get very confused. And this is so powerful. Okay, you with it? All right. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with thee, the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind. Where's the law right now? It's in the Ark of the Covenant. But I will put it in their mind and I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Everything we're going to read is going to be like a story that's talking about something else. As we go through the Old Testament, God took his word, and he put it in the ark, in the Holy of Holies. And in that he said, I'm doing this, and by doing this, I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. But, like we read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, it says, the day's coming when, what? When I will write my word in your hearts, and then I will be your God, and you will be my people. So, 1 Corinthians tells us that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, in one sense, the shape of the house in heaven is the shape of our soul, okay? That when God created man, his house, which is in the shape of his soul, he built his house to represent himself. Now he's building his house in us. And it says that the word is where? In our hearts. And because of that, now we are his people. Thank you, Ben. That's good, isn't it? I like that. Verse 11, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. All right? I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. I will not remember their sins anymore. Okay, keep going. Chapter 9. Are you reading along? Okay, good. Did you get that Bible unwrapped yet? 9.1. Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, 
The first was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Okay, And it goes through and it describes this tabernacle. Verse 9, which was a figure for the time then present. And there were offered gifts and sacrifices. Verse 10, but that only stood in meats and drinks and divers washings until the time of reformation. Verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hallelujah. Okay, the tabernacle you can go fold up put your staves in, and get ready to journey. Y'all can sit down. Y'all can stay up there if you want to. Uh, y'all come on down. We'll, we'll get, we'll, oh, the reason I chose these two as angels, go ahead, uh, Matthew. You, when you think of angels, uh, traditionally, you think of Allison. You know, she sort of looks like an angel. But really, sometimes a better way to think about angels is like Hellman. <laughs> it's true. Angels are warriors. They are powerful. They're not little cherubs floating around. Okay. So one of the words you're going to read a lot as we as it's getting late. Um, one of the words that you're going to hear a lot as we go through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and already in Exodus is the word holy. One of the first things that you recognize about God in the building of his house is that he is holy and that it's with fear and trembling that that priest would even dare go in to the representation of where God manifests himself, okay? And here in Hebrews it says they are reminded every year of their sins. What happened when they sinned? God said, I'm not going to go with you. I'll give you that place. I don't care. You can have it. But I am not going to be with you. Why? Because we would not represent him. And so every year they would remember we are guilty. We are guilty. And we don't deserve to be the people of God. And no matter how many bulls were sacrificed, I think when they, when they dedicated uh, Solomon's temple, they killed dozens and dozens of bulls till the, till the blood ran. None of that could purge them. They always knew that they were guilty. But look what, hap look what happened in heaven in the real sanctuary when Jesus was sacrificed. And we just read it. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Okay? Go over to chapter 10. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices, which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But they lived 
under a guilty conscience. Yeah, a lamb was slain. Yeah, God has accepted that and he has rolled my sin back. But I know that I do not deserve to be the people of God. I do not deserve to enter the house of God. I do not deserve God entering into my life. But in those sacrifices, verse 3, there's a remembrance made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, Jesus, he says, sacrifice and offering you would not, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then Jesus said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. When he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin you would not, and you did not have pleasure in them which are offered by the law, then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away that first tabernacle so he can establish the second. Verse 10 by which we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us, Through the veil, that is to say his flesh, we have a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the profession of our faith. You need to meditate on the holiness of, and the awesomeness of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And you don't need to be bored with reading over and over and over. This is the way you should live. Your curtains should be connected. The ring should be perfect. It should be a certain way. And you can't live up to that because you're separated from me. I've given you my word but you walk outside of my tabernacle. Unless there would be some way that I can take my word out of this ark and I can put it right inside of you. Then we would have a whole new situation. We would have a whole new covenant. And one day, the Son of God showed up at the door and he knocked. And he walked in that east gate and he crawled up on that altar and sacrificed himself. And then he walked right through the curtain into the holy place. And then he walked right into the holy of holies in heaven, the real one. And he took his blood and he said, Father, Father, I offer my blood on this mercy seat. And on that day, the Bible says that the curtain ripped open from top to bottom, signifying that God no longer had to dwell behind a curtain. But the Holy Spirit was now able to come and live inside of you because you have been purged in reality in heaven. And Jesus, it says, now is at the right hand of the God the Father. And it says he is ever living to make intercession 
on your behalf. And so the Old Testament, as you read it, it gives you a picture of the holiness, the awesomeness, the sacrifice. But then when you come into the New Testament and you realize that Christ is the one who's entered in and his blood is able to purge your conscience because God can justly forgive you. Remember, the Old Testament said it could roll it back, but you knew you were going to have to pay up one day. Jesus paid up. Jesus paid up. And now there's no remembrance of sin, but absolute forgiveness of sin. And we come into his presence. So there's going to be a hundred things that are going to open up to you in the New Testament as you understand this tabernacle in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, And so they then, after they come back from the golden calf, they come and they build it. And look what happens when they build that tabernacle. Go to the last few verses of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40, starting verse 34. Well, verse 33. And he reared up the court around about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward on their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So in the New Testament, we see the tabernacle being fulfilled in three ways. Really a fourth way. The first way is 1 Corinthians. Let me give you the exact reference. 1 Corinthians 3.16. And there's a lot of places you could go to. You could say, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as you go through and you read how everybody gave themselves to build the house of God, the end result of that was what? The glory of God manifests itself on the temple of God. So in the very same way, as you read through this and you see it being built, God is pleased to come and dwell on your life full of the glory of God. All right. The second one, though, and this is the one we talk about most here, Ephesians 2, 20 and 21. And... There's probably four or five other verses almost like this in Paul's writing. So, verse 19. So, you therefore are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, of, with the saints and of the household of God. See the language? Whenever, it was, whenever they said that, they would think in terms of, Israel being brought out and being made a people and really having the house of God. And here he says, now you are being built together to be this house. So that's the second way that the temple in the Old Testament reflects a spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is this. God makes his abode in the church. In our lives, there's a way in which God's glory is manifest and His presence is very real when we come together, okay? The third one I mentioned already, Jesus Himself was the manifestation of the presence of God in the earth. That was in Matthew chapter 26, I believe it's 21, where where it, it, it says that He was speaking of Himself as the temple of God. 
So in those three ways that you contemplate the ministry of the temple and the purging by the blood of a lamb, you have been purged by the blood of the lamb. In Ephesians, uh, later on it says, Christ died for the church. So you understand you as the tabernacle where God wants to dwell, but specifically his blood was shed to create a church. And then finally, in the Old Testament, it brings all of this household stuff together in, in Revelation. And it talks about how, you remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you in my Father's house are many mansions or many rooms. This house that was represented by a father who responds in mercy to the loving sacrifice of his son on behalf of his bride is going to come down and he's going to make his abode. Heavenly Jerusalem is going to come down and we are going to be married into it and become one with it uh, in, in the ultimate sense. All right, so you are the household of God. We together are the household of God. And we exist because our high priest has passed through the sacrifice into the presence of God on our behalf. So this is why we read the Old Testament, is so we can understand the full implications of what Christ has done for us. Amen? All right. Now, the most exciting book uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. We're going to start in two weeks. It's the book of Leviticus. It is amazing. I can't wait to get there. Next week, we'll finish up with numbers, so you can go ahead and start reading in Leviticus. So let's stand up and... Uh...